Hey there. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is put out into the world by Living Water Community Church, located in Ypsilanti, Michigan. I'm Pastor Clark Cothern. If you'd like to know more about Living Water, or if you'd like to drop us a note, or if you've got a question, or if you'd like to have us pray for you, head on over to lw-cc.org. Now, let's join today's podcast in progress. We're going to be talking today about how to get up when you feel like giving up. All of us have felt like it at times, but I want to kind of whet your appetite just a bit. Many of you may have seen this already. I have shrunk it down to just about one minute. The athlete's name is Heather Dornadon. She was an athlete, a real strong, fast runner for the University of Minnesota. And I just want you to see this because I think it's going to just pump you right up and get you thinking about the topic today. Really relying on getting a lot of points from her this weekend. And she's just coming by Fondor now in the home stretch, heading into the Bell Lap. Gordon falling down gets up quickly, but that's going to cost her. Lucky she wasn't injured. Her teammate just went to the front, though, so they may be able to recover from that. And Gordon is flying down the back. She is she catching is, up. She is going to catch Fondor, and she may catch the leader. Wow. But she's got fun. This is a gutsy effort by Gordon. doing everything she can to win this heat. Can you feel your heart beating? Wow, she pulled it off. Can you even? I can't imagine having that much adrenaline to fall down, get up, and still pull it off to take first place. That is just a heroic effort. And when I think of that, I think, well, what can we do by looking at Scripture to find what we need to grab that inner something when people say, well, how do you reach down inside yourself and grab? What is it you grab for? Wayne is a guy that I knew from a previous church. Uh, it was the first church I served as minister of worship and music when we came to Michigan. He had it all together, or so everybody thought. He was a guy who had a great job working for a Ford Motor Company. He was an administrator and accountant, and he had two wonderful kids. They were both just sharp as tacks. One of them, a young man who was probably destined for a baseball scholarship, the way he was playing. Uh, his wife was beautiful and smart and worked for a hospice organization helping other people. And they just, to look at him from the outside, you'd think, man, this Wayne fella, he's got it all. And in a small group Bible study one time, the question came up, do you ever feel like giving up? He was the last person on the planet I expected to answer the way he did. He said, often. He said, there are times when I feel like I, I wish I could get in my car and drive away from it all and just not look back. He got real. He got really open with us. And he said, I feel so overwhelmed at times that I feel like sometimes I'm just keeping just enough plates spinning to keep them from crashing all around me and that all it's going to take is one domino effect and one thing's going to go wrong and all of them are going to come crashing down. He says, I feel like I'm kind of a fake who's a, a pretender, an imposter, and I'm just waiting for somebody to discover I don't have it all together. That was honest. So we were diving into Scripture to find out what it took for all of us, even when we feel like that, to be able to pick ourselves up and move forward. 
So I think we've all felt that at times. Now, you're going to think that I'm a broken record repeating myself, but I have to keep coming back to these three foundational truths because none of what we're going to look at in Hebrews will make sense apart from this overarching theme that's so important for us because the reason I say that is when I've seen people going through difficult seasons of their lives, it's almost like they forget these three principles altogether. They just put them right out of their minds and forget, oh, these things are still true. First of all, we're not in Eden anymore. You're not in paradise. We would like to think at times that the world offers us something. And because we're not in the perfect world that God created perfectly, things don't work. They just don't. Things, in fact, don't work perfectly. Breaks fail. We had somebody that texted me before church just last week. And this person said, I'm so sorry I'm going to have to miss. I want so badly to be in worship with you guys, but there's brake fluid all over my driveway. And I have to get my car fixed before I can drive. And I said, no, that's a good thing. We don't want you to have to stop by running into the building when you get here. Bodies break down sometimes. Some people were asking me this morning if perhaps I got in a bar fight. Uh, this is not a bar fight. This is, it was not a cacophonous kerfuffle that broke out in the wedding reception I attended last night. And it was actually a rather peaceful thing for the most part. But these are actually some precancerous spots on my face again. And because I grew up in Arizona and got lots of sunburns, sometimes these things happen. But they just get this liquid nitrogen and they just burn them right off. I wish there was a better story. You know, I, I wish I could say, yeah, there's this deacon in our church. And... <laughs> Fortunately, they can do this thing and just get rid of them before they turn into something we don't like. Our bodies break down over time. Uh, use your sunscreen. For those of you who are young enough, just keep doing that. Our bodies wear out. Bosses can sometimes become difficult. I had another person just a few weeks ago who was kind of texting me back and forth a little bit, and he was just sort of venting and frustrated because he said, I feel like my boss has the bottom line in mind more than the relationships of the employees. And it's like you can work even more diligently than ever and do everything you can to please this guy, and all he's going to say is, okay, good, now I want even more. And it just seems so frustrating and so we were trying to figure out, where is there a balance? Can you give some sort of feedback? Can you say, well, I just have to draw the line. This is my margin, and I'm going to stick to it, whether you like it or not, because I have to have balance in my life. And if I don't, I'm going to go nuts. How do we handle that? So all these things are because things don't work perfectly in a fallen world. Secondly, there's a war going on inside you. I've mentioned this before in previous sermons. This is that Romans chapter 7 philosophy that Paul was talking about. How many of you have gotten ready to do something, and you thought, you know, yeah, I probably shouldn't do this. I'm going to do it anyway. And then you do it. I, I bet all of us have. Why is that? Because there's this inner war going on inside all of us. Paul the Apostle uses a couple of different phrases for it. He'll say that it's our fleshly nature or our sinful nature, our sin nature within us. It's the old nature that hasn't yet been completely transformed into the Spirit's nature yet. And so we're kind of at war within us. So that's another thing that's a reality of living in this world today because we're in a fallen world and all of us are affected by sin as well. And thirdly, there's a war going on around us. If this sounds familiar, it's because I hit this one pretty hard too in one of the sermons that we had just uh, after the beginning of this year. But that means that the world system itself is completely opposed to God's kingdom system. I mean, completely. It's diametrically opposed. So it's no, no doubt that we're going to come up against people who are going to be differing in their opinions about 
how we ought to be living our lives. So that's the background. Fallen world, inner struggle, outer struggle, that's a part of the norm for this world. Now let's look at Hebrews 11. We see these three names among several others in Hebrews 11 that are held up as examples of people who said, yeah, they had lots of reasons to give up at times. you imagine building that ark and how long it would have taken to do so? Some of us who have actually been to the ark encounter in Kentucky can see the enormity of that. Even Mike Vail could not have built that ark in a couple of weeks. It would have taken you maybe six. But it was a huge project, and Noah, I'm sure, would have gotten discouraged and would have thought at times, God, what have you asked me to do? And how much was he getting from the friends and neighbors who were watching the build on his front lawn and scoffing at him and saying, you're building a boat? There's not even any water around here. What is going on with that? Abraham, same thing, called out as Abram from the Ur of the Chaldees. Move to this place. Where? Well, I'll tell you when you get there. It's a need-to-know basis. And then he moves his family all the way across. You know the story about that. Joseph, same thing. We talked about him just a few weeks ago because I talked about his story. These are guys that are held up as examples to say these are faith-filled people and God worked mightily through them. And if you stopped right after they listed these people, we might start to feel badly about ourselves because we would think, I can never measure up to that. That's an unrealistic expectation. I'm no Noah. I'm no Abraham. I'm no Joseph. But all you have to do is read through just a little bit further about verse 35. And we see a whole bunch of other people that are mentioned. And he says, and there were some, and they were tortured, they were imprisoned. Some were stoned to death. Others were, ah, sawn in half. Others were killed by the sword. And he's not talking about the group of people who are unfaithful. Look what he says about them. These people earned a good reputation because of their faith. And yet none of them received all that God had promised, meaning in this life. They did eventually. They are going to receive everything that God has in store for them. But they didn't get all the rewards here in this particular life. First of all, we know that God had something better in mind. He knew that because he created us for eternity, this is just a stopover for us. This is a place where we're actually being tested and we're getting to know him and we're practicing that he who is faithful in little becomes faithful also in much and the sower principle. If you're going to sow the things for the kingdom, then you're going to reap a great reward ultimately. But many of us won't see all the rewards until later. They're going to be delayed rewards. From Hebrews 11, here's some things that we learn right off the bat. Faith does not spare us from suffering. It just doesn't. All you have to do is read Hebrews 11, starting at verse 35 to the end, and you'll know faith doesn't spare us from suffering. Great people of faith have suffered greatly, and yet God has worked His purposes mightily, sometimes in the midst of their suffering, even more than when things were going well for them. Secondly, we won't see some of God's rewards until eternity. That's just the fact. I know that my dad, I would have loved for him to have seen much more fruitfulness from some of the ministry he was a part of when he was on this earth because he was one of those guys that was just a quiet, behind-the-scenes, diligent worker. So faithful. And yet there were some of those small churches that he helped start that you didn't see conversions every week. You weren't seeing dozens of baptisms all the time, but he was so faithful. Do you know what I think is going to happen? I think kind of like that song... Thank you for giving to the Lord. I think sometimes people are going to walk up to him in heaven and he's going to say, hi, I don't think I've had the pleasure. And they'll introduce themselves and they'll say, I'm here because of you. 
Because you were faithful back here and doing the work there. This person was saved. This person was influenced. And he influenced my mom. And then my mom led me to faith in Christ. And that's why I'm in heaven today. There's going to be this great relay race going on. And some of us won't see God's rewards until we actually get to heaven itself. And third, this earthly life isn't a sprint. It's a multi-generational relay race. Multi-generational. Why would I say that? Because look at this scripture. God wanted them to wait and share the even better rewards that were prepared for us. Now that's strange if you look at it because it sounds like they're two different groups of people that he's speaking with because he is. God wanted them, meaning these people that he's just referred to in Hebrews, he wanted them, those who have gone on before us already, to share the better rewards that were prepared, he doesn't say for them, for us. So you see what's happening? They're waiting so that some of the people who have been influenced because of their faithfulness can catch up to them so that we can walk up to them someday. And we'll be able to walk up to Abraham or Joseph or Moses and say, hey, thanks guys. I really appreciate the good work you did. I read about you, but now I get to talk with you face to face. But because you were faithful, God was able to accomplish his purposes and now I'm here. It's a multi-generational relay race. When we tend to think of rewards, I think of Maybe a monetary reward, you're going to get a bonus at work if you've done a good job that year. Or maybe some sort of a trophy, uh, like a runner that might run and they win first place and they give a medal or a trophy. Those are kind of material things that we think of. But the best rewards are not material. The best rewards are relational. For example, I have, uh, this just came to mind. Um, I have a box up in our little attic above our garage. And in that box are a few mementos that I decided I just couldn't throw out when we moved. One of them is a plaque that was given to me my senior year of college. And I'm really proud, not for the plaque, but for what it represents. Because it was a musicianship award. And I was so touched by that and honored. But one of the reasons I was touched is because it represented my favorite professors who had poured their lives into my life for those four years of college at that particular university. And I wouldn't be here today without them touching my life the way they did. And it was named after the president of our college. It's called the William R. Hensey Memorial Award for Outstanding Musicianship. William Hensey was a great man of God. He had been a missionary for years. He spoke and wrote fluently in Greek and a couple of other languages. He had come to some smaller churches, including the one where I was just a little hand waver music minister and spoke for us one time. And it was a small enough college that he got to know the people. We felt like Dr. Hensey cares about us. He's a real guy. And then when he passed away, much younger than we would have hoped, they named this award after him because it's what it represents. And the same thing about these rewards. You know what these rewards that we're going to receive in heaven represent? It represents a Christ who did all this for us and how much he cares for us and poured his life into our lives. It's because we are joint heirs with him and we're sharing in his rewards that he's now sharing with us. And the fact that we even get to be in God's presence is because of what he did for us. The rewards are going to be much more relational than we tend to think of when we're thinking materialistically on earth. Hebrews 12. It's really neat to see how the writer of Hebrews lines this section out because it's almost like he's saying, okay, I'm giving you the build-up to this. And then, of course, Pastor Mike would be so thrilled that he starts with, therefore, because what's the therefore, therefore? You know, that's what we got to do. We have to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Well, because of Hebrews chapter 11... Because we understand that even though we have great faith, 
Still, there may be times when there's going to be great suffering. And yet, then he goes into the practical application. Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd, some says cloud, it just means it's a a poetic phrase that means a whole bunch. A crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Some of you have just had kids in plays. I think Anna was in one very recently. And it's something when you're the kid and you're performing and you peek out from behind the curtain to see who's in the audience and you are looking for those people that you know. And you pick out your mom and she's sitting out there and she's going. (laughs) And you're a little embarrassed by that, but it also makes you feel good because you think they showed up for me. They're proud of me. I can do this because I know that they're there for me. Can you imagine that Moses and Abraham and all these great people are up there in heaven and they're actually watching us and they're cheering us on. And when we stumble, they say, it's okay. Get up. Keep going. We're cheering for you. We're here for you. Keep going. Do we really think that maybe that might be possible? I think so. Ankle weights are something I became familiar with in middle school because I ran track a little bit. And there was a friend of mine who actually was the son of my Sunday school teacher, and he happened to go to the same school I did. And I showed up for a track meet one day, and I saw him with these ankle weights, and I thought, what is this guy doing? And he was running some little warm-up sprints, just kind of getting his muscles warmed up and stuff. Well, would you wear those in the actual race? No, of course not. What you're doing is you're strengthening your muscles by using them, by giving a little extra resistance so that when you take them off, it makes you feel like, whoa, I can fly. And unfortunately, he did. (laughs) Because he beat me out in the long jump. And I attribute it to the ankle weight. But what Paul is saying is we need to throw off, we need to jettison anything that would hinder us or slow us down in running the race. And so we get rid of the weights and also the sins. He uses those two different phrases here, especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this, how? By keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the champion. I like the term that they use in this New Living Translation, the champion. In the other translations, mostly it's author and finisher of our faith. But think of him as the champion. He is not only the one who has won the race for us, but he's our example, and he's cheering us on as well. We can look at him. He's the coach. He's the champion. He's all of that. And he initiates and perfects our faith. So keep our eyes on him. That's how we can keep running the race with endurance. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Some translations say despising its shame. What kept Christ going? knowing the reward that was set before him, the joy that was before him. He was able to endure that which to us is unimaginable. I don't think any of us could even possibly comprehend what he went through on our behalf. Now, here's some things we can remember when we get to that point where we feel like, oh, I'm so discouraged and I'm so tired and I just don't know if I can keep going or not. Here's some things that we can remember to do. Remember that heaven is watching you. Remember that. You've got a cloud of witnesses And they're cheering you on. If you want to read some more about heaven, I recommend a nice big thick book by Randy Alcorn, A-L-C-O-R-N. It's called Heaven. And he uses all kinds of scripture to help us get a better handle on what heaven might be like. And I have tended not to think about that, that there may be some interaction with the people in heaven who can actually see what's going on. It makes my heart smile 
to think that as I'm doing things that I know my mom and dad would be proud of, that they might actually be given glimpses of me doing that because it brings them joy. And I think Randy Alcorn would say there's a possibility that that's actually happening. You have to read the scriptures and find out how he gets to that. I don't know that definitively, but we have this great cloud of witnesses and they say that they're looking on. So we'll have to see what that's like specifically when we get up there. I want to ask, so were you able to see this stuff or are you only given little YouTube videos? <laughs> Second, throw off the things that hinder you or that would slow you down or even trip you up. Weights and sins. We want to look a little bit at the weights and the sins and what those might be. Let us strip off. In the New Living, he's using that because he wants an active verb. Something that would say, hey, I'm starting to slow down and I don't need this anymore, so I'm not going to take my time doing it. I'm going to get rid of it as fast as I can. So he says, strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. What is this thing? The weight is anything that would make us deaf to God's voice. Anything that would keep us from hearing Him so that we can be obedient to Him is something that's a weight for us. Sometimes they can be good things. Some things are not necessarily wrong. They're just not necessary. In fact, I kind of think sometimes that the enemy would love to get us too busy doing good things so that we can't do the best things. And it's tough to discern that, which is why we have to constantly be in the Word and looking for God's voice and listening for it carefully. These things can all be weights. Memories, there are some people who get stuck in a good memory, like uh, Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus gets up there, it was the pinnacle, literally the peak of His ministry on earth. And Elijah shows up, and Moses... And they're transfigured or glorified there. And they're recognized by Peter, James, and John along with Jesus. And Peter's having such a mountaintop experience that he just blurts out, Hey, let's go camping up here. Let's build some shelters and let's just bask in this goodness and continue to have this mountaintop experience. It's a great memory. And Jesus is trying to say, No, this is a teachable moment for you, Peter, because God says, Listen to him, meaning Jesus, because he's going to fulfill both the law and the prophets represented by Moses and Elijah. So he says, you're going to have to go back down off the mountain. And some of us can't stay in those mountaintop experiences in our spiritual walk. We'd love to. It'd be great if we could all be at that wonderful retreat where we experience God so personally and say, man, I just want to hang on to that forever. But he says, no, you've got to slog through the rest of this world because we're still in a broken world. There are a lot of people who need what we have to offer. So we can't get stuck in that good memory and keep living for that. We, we can't let that hinder us or bog us down. Or a bad memory can keep people from forgiving and moving forward. I see that actually more often than I see people getting stuck in the good memories. When I see people asking for prayer and asking for how they can move forward in certain things, this one thing comes up more than any other in ministry forgiveness. More than any other thing that I've dealt with personally with other people who struggle, it's trying to forgive something that was a hurt so they can keep moving forward and leave some of that in their past. That's a very difficult thing to do, and yet we need to do that. Expectations, especially false expectations, can be something that bog us down. Maybe it was because you had high expectation parents, and you feel like, man, I can never measure up. I can't be as a as perfect as they want me to be. Maybe it's peers. Maybe it's the world system, and you look at magazines, and you'll think, I can never look like that. I mean, some of us naturally are born this good-looking, but <laughs> some people have to work a little harder, and we feel like we can't measure up. 
And the world foists that on us. And it's easy to start feeling badly about ourselves because we're trying to measure ourselves against an unrealistic expectation. We need to drop that and say, no, no, I'm okay in Christ. My identity, my identity is in Jesus Christ. And then he's talking about sin. Those were the weights. Let's look at sin a little bit too. Sin is simply knowing the right thing to do and not doing it. We get that right out of Scripture. Anyone who knows what is right but fails to do it is guilty of sin. So it says in James. Uh, there was something that I knew I had to do, and it was difficult for me, and I was finding it tough to overcome that. It has to do with forgiveness. This is years ago. Somebody that we knew, it was very close to our family, did something. He participated with a few others in something that was really serious and, quite frankly, almost cost the life of one of my children. It was a dangerous situation. And I had a very difficult time forgiving. And I would read and I would pray. And I know that God was being really blatant with me. You know how he starts to get you at three different ways and you'll read it one day and then you hear somebody say it on the radio and then you bump into somebody else. Same scripture, but it's coming at you from three different angles. He kept doing that to me. It was like, wow, he must really want me to forgive this guy. But I was so prideful and so stuck in my bad memory and so unwilling to let go of my pride that I wasn't going there. I just wasn't forgiving. So basically, I said one of those dangerous prayers and said, well, God, you're going to have to help me on this one because I can't do it myself. So what does he do? He sends this guy right to where I am. And he does so just before church starts. And the guy walks right up to me, and with tears in his eyes, he begged me to forgive him. How can you not forgive somebody when they're pouring their life out in front of you and they're so repentant, they're so remorseful? Of course I had to. I had no choice at that point. God helped me get past what I could not get past because of my own fleshly nature, that sinful nature that was just warring within myself. If we know what is right but fail to do it, we're guilty of sin. And I think so often it winds up falling down to forgiveness. And then third, run the race God has given you to run. Not the race your parents have told you you should run. Not the race your peers might have told you you ought to be running. Sometimes it's not even the race that we've mapped out for ourselves. Because we might have a specific timeline in mind for how we think our life is supposed to go. And we just kind of make God laugh when he sees our big plans. Because he knows that he's got a plan that's going to be so much better than the one we've mapped out even for ourselves. And sometimes it's going to require a few trips and falls and getting back up again. Sometimes it's going to give us a few detours. Because sometimes those detours put us on the right path so that we can get exactly where God wants us to be. So we can accomplish his purposes. We have to run the race God has given us to run. That is spoken to us again in Hebrews, the third part of that very first verse. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And how do you know what your race is supposed to look like? Go back to that very first SHAPE series that we preached early this year. The SHAPE stands for spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and experiences. God shapes us in a way so that eventually we find our way into doing things that we think, Ooh, I have the aha moment. This is why I've been put on the planet. This is one of the reasons that God shaped me this way. I feel so fulfilled when I'm doing this because I'm fulfilling a spiritual purpose that only God could do through me. And all of us are different. None of us are going to look exactly the same in our shapes. True story about this guy. I just saw a testimony this last week about Rob Trotloff, a physician 
gifted internal medicine physician, was actually teaching at the Mayo Clinic and had his own private practice that was going great guns. And suddenly he started having some back pains and a couple of chiropractic adjustments did not do the trick for Rob. And then it got worse and worse until pretty soon he was just flat on his back. And they had a couple of surgeries hoping to fix him up. The surgeries just seemed to make things worse. It wasn't helping. Eventually, he got to where he could not move. He was flat on his back, and the doctor came in and told him and his wife, Christy, said, Rob, Christy, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you need to get used to a new normal. Because, Rob, you're not going to be walking, I don't think, ever again. You've got a deteriorating spine. It's just falling apart, and we can't fix that. So I'm terribly sorry about that. And he's thinking, well, there goes my life's purpose. I'm a physician. My identity has been as a physician. I can't do anything to help anybody else. So he was lying flat on his back, taking all kinds of medicine, just trying to make it through a day, racked with pain. His wife rigged him up this wonderful thing so that he could actually see his computer from his angle. And he has this 12 by 12 room in the basement of his house. And that became his world. And then he started watching a church that had some online Bible studies in small groups. And they put out an appeal for online Bible study leaders for people who couldn't get out and go to church. And Rob said, I think I could do that. So he sent them an email based on their appeal, and he became an online Bible study teacher for a small group from his bed in the basement. And then that went so well that then he started a second one. So now he's leading two online Bible studies for his church. And then that particular church started sending mission teams just like the ones that came back from Haiti and gave us a report, but they were in Rwanda. And one of the things they were trying to do was to send American doctors to the doctors in Rwanda to help beef them up and increase their skill levels so they could do more difficult surgeries and some other things like that to treat their patients with excellence. But they were so limited because it's a long way over there and it costs a lot of money to buy a plane ticket to get to Africa. And so some of the guys came back from one of their trips there and they said to Rob, Rob, we got an idea. Would you be willing to Skype with pastors in Rwanda and they could actually in real time introduce you to their patient and talk you through and basically do rounds through Skype and can you help them? And they started making that happen. So now here's Rob talking with a doctor in Rwanda and he's actually doing ministry internationally from his bed, flat on his back. And he said, I felt like God got me right off the shelf, dusted me off, and said, you're still going to accomplish the purpose I've given you to accomplish, Rob. I'm not done with you yet. He's not getting up physically and running, but he's running spiritually. And it's amazing to see how God can do that for all of us when we feel like we're just ready to give up. Paul did something to give some comparison and get himself some perspective. He played down his sufferings and he prayed up his God-given purposes. He played down his sufferings and he had sufferings. Oh my lands. You read from his own testimony about some of the things he experienced. Shipwrecked more than once. I think he said three different times he was shipwrecked. I wouldn't want to get on a boat after that. He was nearly stoned to death. He was flogged, beaten, chastised, run out of town. I mean, there are all kinds of these things. And Paul says, and yet, if I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. He's not boasting in his strengths. He's boasting in his weakness. Why is that? Because he recognized that God was doing more through his weaknesses than he could have done in his own strength. For our momentary light affliction, 
Now think about who's saying this. This is the Apostle Paul who's been through all that. Our momentary light afflictions. Do you think they were actually light when he was enduring them? No, but by comparison, these afflictions are producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we can't even compare the two. And because I know it's for eternity, all the stuff that I've been through, like the snap of a finger. That's how quick this life is going to feel when we're in eternity forever. These things are momentary and light. So are some of you suffering in some way? Take heart. Take heart from the Apostle Paul. They're momentary and, the, and they're light afflictions. You'll be running soon, I'm sure, those of you who are on crutches today. <laughs> some of you are going to actually have a leg to stand on soon. I know it. It's coming. This one I'm going to wind up with. It was a picture because I read about this. I think this was in London, if I remember correctly. In fact, I think that may say London on the banner back there. And it was toward the end of a marathon. And one of these guys who could have increased his time by running past this guy who was getting disoriented because he only had about 300 meters to go to the finish line. But he saw this guy who was starting to stumble and become disoriented. He was almost going off the track. But he couldn't help himself. He had to go over and help this guy. And so he slowed himself way down from having his best time and ran over and made sure that this guy was pointed in the right direction. He's going, no, the finish line's over here. The finish line's over there. Here, I'll help you. And he helped the guy across the finish line. That, for me, is a picture of what happens when we're a part of the body of Christ. Because all of us who have been there and know that these are momentary and light afflictions. They weren't light when we were enduring them, but God has given us perspective, and we can help each other across the finish line. It's this multi-generational relay race. And when we can pass the torch to the next generation, and they to the generation after that, eventually the rewards will be there, and they'll be relational We'll be in God's presence. We'll be able to talk to all the people that went before us. And we'll say, thank you for not giving up. Because you didn't give up. I didn't give up. And now we can share in these rewards together. What a wonderful thing to know that we're not in this thing alone. And I pray that we'll become that kind of encouraging body of believers to help each other across the finish line. And to bring as many others with us as we can, as God allows. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for those who have gone before me, who didn't give up, who kept looking to you as the author, the champion, and the finisher of their faith, kept their eyes fixed on him so they could run the race with endurance. And I pray that you'll give us the kind of strength that's supernatural, that we can't even gain from our own strength, knowing that we can't do it in our own, and so we have to rely on you. I pray that you'll give us that strength, your strength, so that we too can run the race with endurance, and that we'll help each other across the finish line. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.